Welcome in to another edition of the Bengal Tiger Recruiting Podcast. I am Billy Embody. With me is Shay Dixon of the Bengal Tiger. And joining us for a special rankings edition of the podcast, on three, Director of Scouting, Charles Power. Seemed like just yesterday we were uh, all standing out there in the heat of Baton Rouge at LSU camp. Uh, now, fast forward a few months, the final rankings for the 2023 class are complete. Uh, Chuck, how are you feeling now that they are uh, done and that that on 300 is uh, finished up? Uh, I would say maybe a, a sense of just relief, I guess. I, I think we're generally um, like I, some, there's some gratification. I think we're I think we're pleased with how it came out. But of course, once you put them out, you can't you can't change them. You can't go back and update them. So uh, there's I guess there's a sense of uh, fingers crossed. Hopefully some of these some of these work out and these prospects prove, prove us right. Uh, I'm sure some will prove us wrong for sure. Uh, but yeah, yeah, we, we put out, we put ours out first. So I think, I think my, uh, my, my interest immediately goes to, okay, what is, what else, what, what is everybody else going to do? So that's kind of where I'm at right now, but um, yeah, taking, taking a second, uh, going through working on some database stuff and then we'll turn the page to 2024 and get to that. I, I guess y'all know from, from covering recruiting um, as, as long as we have that there's really, there's really no break. It's, 365 go to the next cycle so um yeah 24 and 25 for us here pretty soon i'm not dealing with anyone who's talking about 25 right now in fact i've got a personal rule i'm not even doing 24 until uh february signing day billy handles all that uh all right i see people saying like send in 26 stuff i'm like man like that that is way off my radar like i started we have a 25 watch list and we'll have to expand it to 300 relatively soon but uh, my general rule is uh, I don't really start watching you until probably at least after your freshman year. Cause you know, from doing this long enough, like there's so many guys that are huge eighth grade, ninth graders that just don't end up being top prospects. And there's so many top prospects that we find their senior year. So um, yeah, I think that's probably the, the uh, mentally healthiest way to, uh, to, to approach it. You talk about that, Charles, We'll get to know you here in a second, um, but I did have this written down. People want rankings, right? So if a kid's a sophomore and you do a top 100, you've talked about this for a long time. Are you pigeonholing yourself in a way? Like, because at that point, you're only evaluating kids who actually got to play as freshmen and or they on a camp before their sophomore year. By the time kids are seniors, you've seen so many more guys that we've Every year we see it, these early top 100 lists, someone falls off and you've said it before when you have to rank them. Well, the number five guy may end up 500 at the end of it. And then it just kind of is, makes you look bad. Yeah, What's for sure. Approach? Yeah, for sure. It's a, it's a sample, it's a sample size deal at, at the minimum for it's a, it's a sample size and it's, you're so early in the development as well. Um, so it's a, have they played? Uh, and there's going to be so many guys who haven't played yet. Uh, think about if you're a quarterback and you're a backup or you're playing another position behind a, a good high school player. Like you think of like a Patrick Mahomes didn't like he was playing safety as a sophomore in high school. Um, so th- there, there's there's so many situations of that where a lot of top future top prospects, top NFL draft picks aren't playing uh, as freshmen or so, freshmen or sophomores. So. For sure, um, and, and I think just generally speaking, with those early rankings, I mean, like you, you hit the nail on the head, Shay. I, I think we we do it from a product standpoint. I think it's a service to the fans to know 
okay, these are the top underclassmen that we should keep an eye on. Um, you know, especially like in our state, in our area, um, these are guys who are on the radar early. And a lot of times they are, they do end up being the top prospects, but um, it is like, it's very loose. It's a very loose projection. And to be honest, I think when, when you make these early rankings, I think if you're doing it, doing it uh, in, in, in the most uh, honest and accurate fashion, you have to be willing to be fluid with, with the understanding that what we, what we get the later in the, like later in the process, senior season, all-star games, that is so much more valuable than what a guy did as a ninth or 10th grader in high school. Um, and, and a lot of those early rankings are really like, we're, we're, we're working to fix mistakes we made on the initial one, the entire cycle. So yeah, it's, it's definitely, it's a tough, um, it, 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 it's a tough uh, one to thread a little bit with, with trying to, uh, project that far out. But, um, you know, honestly, I think that's probably really one of, one of the more difficult things we have to do uh, is, is the early, the early rankings and, and trying not to back ourselves into a corner, but also to have a week, we operate with the, with the understanding, I think at on three, like we're probably more aggressive with, with, with moving, uh, making moves we have that we need that, that, that we feel we need to do. Um, and that's just trying to be as accurate as possible. So yeah. Um, the early rankings are definitely a whole, a whole beast of their own for sure. We'll, we'll keep it current on you uh, here on this podcast. We're going to review guys who've already signed. So that's the best part. Yeah. Uh, got Charles Power on, director of scouting and ranking. That is the title, right, Charles? Three. Yeah, I believe uh, so. Get, whatever you want it to be. Uh, give us the breakdown. You, Everyone knows Billy went to SMU. Um, if people don't know, I went to LSU. It might be hard to tell sometimes. Uh, you did go to an SEC school. It just wasn't LSU. What, uh, what were you doing before you got into recruiting? Yeah, I, I grew up in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, uh, went to University of South Carolina um, for college, um, just kind of got into it there. Uh, both my brothers play college football, so um, that's kind of really how I got into just following recruiting um, and, and just tracking it. I mean, I, I remember I started following recruiting really in high school. Like I remember watching the the, the old like Fox Sports South TV shows. Um, and then, and then going to seeing a lot of guys in person, like I just like going to high school games uh, back then um, and, and really kind of got into it in college. Um, you know, South Carolina was uh, the, 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 the state had a ton of top prospects. It really was kind of like the golden age of football players in South Carolina, which like when I was in college or like the years after. So I would go and see guys in person. Like I remember just going to see an Alshon Jeffrey play in high school, saw Jadavion Clowney. Um, like Cordero Patterson, Stephon Gilmore, uh, you just tried to go to his, like those games and just kind of got into it that way. I mean, I didn't plan on getting into this really. This wasn't like, I didn't go to school for this. I just kind of, I'm, I'm sure it's probably similar to y'all. I just kind of like backed into it, but this like, it, you know, become, it was kind of a deal where uh, like my senior year of college, I was like, okay, like, do I want to go to law school or do I want to try, give this a try? Um, and I decided like, I was like, yeah, I'll probably give this a try. And um you know, got on with 24-7 sports, uh, covered uh, Alabama recruiting with um, Tim Watts and Bama Online for four maybe cycles. And that was that was a great experience, um, you know, just getting – The five for five cycle. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think dealing – you know, get, learning the, the recruiting landscape, I think when you cover Alabama, it's probably similar with LSU. You're almost like a national analyst in that the, the, the prospects I was reporting on were from all over the country – um, I, I think one year that uh, one class I covered for them, I think they signed players from like 
you know, 15 or 20 different states. So it wasn't like they were all in the backyard, um, you know, cover like, like a guy like Derek Henry really closely, like Marlon Humphrey, guys like that. So you kind of understand um, the uh, just like the, 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 the national landscape a little bit. Um, so, yeah. And then, uh, you know, kind of got into doing national stuff. I think the evaluation side has always been kind of what I've been interested in. Um, I remember going back in the day, back in the day, like I would come home from high school and watch, watch, you know, videos on, on rivals back then. So that was just, that was just kind of on YouTube. Like just, that was always kind of what interested me. So um, in a, in a weird way, I guess if you asked me like, what was like my dream job back when I was a senior in high school, I'm probably doing it right now. So I feel really, really fortunate or, you know, kind of grateful in that regard that has kind of shaken out that way. And, um, you know, I think we're, we're really excited about what we have going on at, at on three. And I guess this is our maybe third, rankings uh that we've done uh probably second full cycle or at least at least the senior year full cycle um so yeah i think we're we're in the process of building something pretty good and um just enjoying being a part of it yeah yeah charles I, like when you when you get into this and you you start looking at players and you mentioned that experience covering alabama and it's, it is kind of similar for for shay and and for myself i get pigeonholed sometimes into going out and seeing some of these guys and I catch myself saying well you know he doesn't move like Jamar Chase he just uh, I don't he doesn't move like Derek Stingley he doesn't move like some of these guys Clyde Edwards Alaire you know the, how do you try to process some of these players that are clearly you're projecting and we're projecting and we're trying to see these players that you know we rank as you know four and five stars turn into NFL greats how difficult is it to see some of those nuances that you know you have something special, especially early on uh, with some of these players that, you know, have been, you know, five stars from the get-go and things like that? Yeah, it's 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 something we're always working on. I, I think just from our process, um, I like I try to go back, especially around the NFL draft period every year, and really go back and take a retroactive look on what – guys who are top draft picks, which really is, is kind of how we judge our rankings. It's kind of the benchmark for our rankings is, is the NFL draft, what they look like in high school. Um, some of it is just my personal experience. If I, if I did see them in high school, what do they look like? Um, and, and then go back and I just, I'll go back and watch film on, on those, on those guys and look at like different markers. Uh, we can, we're kind of into some of the analytical stuff. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, I, I think, it's, it's interesting. It's, it's definitely, and it's definitely fun to think back on. And I think it's informative to, to think back on kind of what, what a lot of those, a lot of those guys look like. And nowadays too, I know it's changed a little bit over the past maybe five years. So much of the stuff is online now. And I think from, uh, for, for our, from my perspective and, and just from the, the scouting side, it's a lot more efficient to just watch games. So I probably don't go to as many high school football games uh, as, we did maybe in, I don't know, 2015 uh, and, and earlier. So, um, so, so I, I think it, it is, it is fun to think back on um, the, the best prospects we've seen. I know Billy, like Billy, we talked about it. It's like, who, who's the best player you've seen? Like, that's like a really fun conversation to have. Um, and I, I think I've been fortunate enough to see some really good ones and it does at times um, maybe set a really high bar uh, for, for, for guys you're comparing them to, but, but also I think it's, it's helpful um, to, to maybe not um, 
it, it, it could help help you in not overrating certain players or thinking that, okay, every year, this is a generational running back or quarterback. Um, it's all, it's all kind of in context. That's kind of, I, I guess it's kind of a buzzword people have, you know, grabbed onto is this is a generational, um, you know, prospect, but uh, really it's, it's oftentimes it's, 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 it's an every year thing, but I think for us too, in, in the rankings, um, it, it's helpful with, with maybe how we value certain positions um, in, in being, you know, judicious and not uh, over, over ranking guys. What's the cliff notes version of why we project towards the NFL draft? Like why, why is that the right tool when ranking kids who are going to go to college? Like when I'm, I'm an LSU fan. I'm looking at the commit list, these rankings. I think, okay, this is going to be their impact in college. That often turns out to be the case, but why is the benchmark the NFL? Yeah. Um, so, so for, for, for a couple of reasons, one, generally speaking, the, the NFL draft from everything we've looked at, everything we can find is the best indicator of the talent and, and ability of a college football player. Um, oftentimes, the vast majority of the time, the best players in college football are, are early draft picks. Uh, f- for me, I really study rounds one through three, uh, kind of the top 100 picks. Uh, and then because things can get a little wonky when you get in day three, you're talking like punters getting drafted and there's, there's all kinds of things that can kind of throw it off a little bit. But um, I, I think, I think, and, and also too, when you look at college football, the oftentimes the best teams are the ones that have high, high draft pick totals. Think about LSU's national championship team. How many guys were picked on that team? You know, the, the, that Alabama team they played that game, how many NFL players early round picks were in that game? Um, you think about like, even like Cincinnati who made the playoffs last year, what did they have? Like close to 10 guys drafted, maybe like eight or nine guys drafted. So I think, I think that, that first off, that's a good indicator. Secondly, I think if you're going to compare, rankings to a to the draft it's really like the nfl draft is one of the only other times in a player's career post really the only time i mean a player's career post uh high school that they are like quantitatively sorted you can actually put a number beside the player so it just allows for a really like natural comparison unless you want to go off of like an nfl top 100 player voted list which those things are crazy and then um there's just no other like real viable metric to to compare it to so i think if you're going to have a process like we do um and try to hold yourself to a certain standard and and get better and and grade yourself you have to have something to judge yourself against uh and the draft is really like kind of just the the obvious thing that that you would compare it to so that's what we've been doing for a couple years and i think i think it makes the rankings more accurate i think it makes the process cleaner Uh, i think if you look at recruiting rankings um dating back to 2000, they're getting increasingly more accurate. Um, and so a lot of that I think is the, the data we have, the access to, to video is much more. I mean, you think about what people were looking at in 2005, they were getting VHS tapes. I mean, I shoot. I remember like when I started doing this, my first month or so we were, I was getting DVDs. So that, I guess that probably ages us a little bit, but like, I mean, Shay, I, I'm sure you were getting DVDs all the time, but, um, but yeah, I mean that. So the access to video is is a big thing, um, and I, I. But I also think the process and and having uh, just kind of a, a a way we go about it has made everything more accurate. And I, I think hopefully, fingers crossed, it'll it'll continue to to improve. But um, I guess that's a long answer into kind of just just the the NFL draft thing. But 
it's, it's, it's very instructive and it's something that, that we put a lot of time into for sure. I can remember back in the day when they had the recruiting bash at LSU. So this was early 2000s to probably 2007, eight range and play the highlight reels for kids. But this was like before huddle and even people weren't even loading stuff onto YouTube and like, you go like get that copy. Like if you knew enough, if you knew, if you were well-sourced enough, you could get a copy of the DVD and then have play it at your function, speaking engagement. So yeah, we were, mm-hmm. we were heavy in the DVD game. Um, all right. Before we're, dive into all LSU stuff. A um, couple more things. When did, and for those listening, Charles and I are very close friends, so I know him well. He could talk all day about this, so we don't know that. We don't need that to be the route. But um, when did analytics and everything from hand measurements to 40 times to track times, like when did that become paramount for you or for the recruiting industry yeah. to start evaluating it? Because I feel like, Around the same time you started talking a ton about it, the NFL draft started really pointing out like, hey, look, you've got to be at different levels to hit in the first three rounds. Like there weren't just guys who weren't fast, weren't long that were getting drafted. Yeah, I, I think it, it kind of the, the recruiting industry um, and, and kind of our, our philosophy probably closely followed that. I mean, I'm, I, I would not profess to uh, be like a pioneer in that regard. And, and I, Barton Simmons was doing this at 24 seven as well. Um, but like before I uh, started back working there as, as a national guy. So Barton was looking at like shot put. Uh, that was a big thing that, was, that turned out to be a really good indicator um, for, uh, for, for uh, like linemen, big guys. Um, but, and I think there were, there were college teams that were doing this really well that were going after like track athletes Um and it might have been some college programs that were not like your top ones, for instance. So I think that was an inefficiency that they that they tapped into. Um, like I think about like Baylor in the early 2010s was basically recruiting a ton of sprinters and nobody else was really doing that. Um, so so I think I think seeing that going back and just kind of getting in the practice of going back and looking, taking a retroactive look at top prospects, because I think there was probably a tendency um, just in the past to just move on and, and not really study it. So I think just people fully kind of dedicating to studying it um, and, and trying to be, trying to be accurate, like not making it a deal where like, we're really going to take the order and the rankings seriously. So um, that that's for sure is something. And I think for us too, like it, it makes the process more organized. Um, it, it, it helps separate guys. Uh, it, it, it creates a deal where it's not as uh, subjective at times. Now, I think there obviously there's it, it, there's situations where you need the subjectivity. Like there is a human element to this, and you have to be able to, um, you know, judge video, like judge judge film, uh, be able to deduce things from a football player standpoint. Like we aren't like robots; we aren't sorting them off of arm length or forty times or whatever. But it it it, it all adds context, I think, and makes makes it just a lot cleaner process and. Uh, and to be honest, is, is, is highly predictive when you look at, when you look at it. Um, so, so I, I think like all, all these evaluations, it's really, I kind of like compared to like a puzzle or like a mosaic kind of deal, like a painting where it's, it's a lot of things coming together to form one big picture. Um, and, and for us, I think we just try to get as much as we can uh, to, to kind of create uh, as, as accurate a, a picture as, as we have as the, for the prospect. So um, and it's fun too, like going back and looking at some of these guys when they're NFL, uh, 
prospects, you see it, it's really kind of scary how you see a lot of the same things from them from high school to college when going into the NFL. So um, I think it's something that uh, is really helpful. And, and for following the NFL draft, I think we've seen NFL draft coverage kind of tap into a lot of the high school uh, backgrounds and, and, and whatnot. So um, it's I think it's becoming a deal where it's just this whole um, kind of macro uh, just, just ecosystem football ecosystem that is all together where it's not high school, college, NFL, it's just the whole picture. And that's really kind of, kind of what we we're, we're trying to do it on three is, is just tell the story, uh, from, from high school all the way through the NFL. So, um, I think it all just, it all goes together, uh, pretty seamlessly. Now, Looking at some of these LSU guys that you've looked at, and uh, Shay, if, if we have one more on the NFL, I mean, one thing, um, and you kind of mentioned it, I think, as you as you look at the the LSU guys you've evaluated, who's who's somebody that you look back on now, and, and you're probably most most proud of. You know, you were high on them early, uh, and they hit, and they're you know at the next level right now. You know, doing doing it at a very very mm -hmm. high level. Well, I mean, well. Stingley, obviously, everybody knew Derek Stingley was incredible. I mean, I, I, I wrote a story, I think, when he was coming out saying he was the best corner that I think we've evaluated or one of the best corner prospects ever. Um, lived up to that uh, as a – what, what was he picked? Three? Like two yep. or three or something? Three or yep. something? Um, so, yeah, I think he, he lived up to that. Uh, the talent was, was real for sure. Uh, in terms of recent guys, like uh, B.J. Ojolari was one um, that – we were, we were pretty high on, um, you know, Keishon Boutte, I, I think I remember at the time, uh, you know, when if you, if you think, think back to LSU's class that year, they had uh, Rakim Jarrett, Jermaine Burton and Boutte. And then, you know, J Jarrett and Burton flipped on signing day. And I remember we were talking about it. It's like, Hey man, like LSU might've actually gotten the best of these three, uh, which I, you know, Boutte's career has kind of been up and down a little bit, but I still think it's pretty safe to say was the best of those three. Um, so, you know, I thought he was a five-star talent uh, and, and still believe he believe he is regardless of however his career shakes out. So um, yeah, I mean, there's, I think there, there, there's definitely been a lot, uh, a, a lot of those guys over the years, I think, um, you know, generally speaking, I think we have a, a relatively good track record of, of hitting on a lot of the best LSU players. And I, I, I think one thing too, you know, kind of the, the the landscape at in Louisiana and LSU, I think is important to understand. I mean, I know Shay and I talk about this all the time, but a lot of times the guys who end up being the best players at LSU are, are kind of these these local um, in-state prospects who a guy like maybe like a Patrick Queen. Um, Perfect uh, example. DJ Chark, guys like that, like Russell Gage, like the 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 ones who maybe don't have a ton of recruiting hype, um, crazy offers, but uh, have there's a there's so much talent uh, just in, in LSU's backyard. I think when you have those guys in the back of your class, uh, that's just a great recruiting strategy and something I think that is really uh, helps separate LSU as you know. You, I think you could argue LSU has the best recruiting, like the the strongest recruiting footprint of any program in the United States, and I think that. Uh, the, the fact that there's that kind of untapped talent in Louisiana every year uh, with guys who, once you get them in a program, have a lot of developmental upside. Uh, I, I think that that makes LSU uh, a special place and, and, and really why so many different coaches have won national championships at LSU. Like, I think, I think, it, I think it's something 
to do with the, the, the talent you can recruit within your, you know, several hour radius of, of Baton Rouge. And look, even when they miss on guys, they can still uh, go on to have success. Uh, five for five, uh, they missed on a few guys. For those that didn't pick up earlier, Charles was working at uh, the Bama site at the time. We were down at the Trop uh, in St. Pete. That was before they moved the game. Uh, do you have a best five for five memory? Because you really were uh, you were just in the one for one camp. You really weren't worried about uh, everybody else. Yeah, I, I, we were tracking we were tracking Jalen Tabor as well that that day. I think just ta- Jalen Tabor and uh, Travis Rudolph. Nobody cares about the other two kids that announced yeah. that day. Yeah, so uh, I think the craziest thing to me was the rumors that Nick Saban was uh, there was a Nick Saban Leonard Fournette package deal to Texas, and that was after Tony Brown had committed to Alabama. That was my favorite part. Yeah, that 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 was the most bananas. Like that was like okay, like this day is completely off the rails. But I had some, yeah, I had some wild experiences back when that was back when prospect like the big guys were announcing at all star games, which they like is less much less common now with the early signing period. But I had some wild experiences with like the Landon Collins thing. I was like on the stage for for that, and then and then it was you know two years later you have the the five five and like we you know for for as much. And Landon's mom was back again. For she, was back. she was back, uh, and she did not. She did not waste time in same energy in, in, in making a statement uh, out there. She actually made a statement, I think, a little faster the second go around. Um, but uh, yeah, but I, you know, looking back on the five for five, I know it's 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 really kind of kind of a you know like a funny story now. But LSU made out. Like they got the two best guys out of the five by two far. Two top ten picks. I don't think the other three got drafted. Did Tony Brown get drafted? I know the other maybe, maybe late or maybe late rounds. I think he's still kind of bouncing around the, the NFL, um, bouncing around teams. But yeah, I mean, worked out. It actually worked out good for LSU in the end. So um, yeah, that that was that was that was one of the more wild days or just couple days I think of in my, in my couple of years of, of covering, covering recruiting. That's one, that's one Shay you gotta, you gotta keep whenever you write your book, that's, that, that's gonna be one of the chapters. We're printing shirts soon for the LSU shop. Someone had a great description the other day. They were like, Oh, it's, it's stings so much. Like it might've been a Desmond Ricks even they're like, you know, like, Oh, he went to Bama. This feels like this could be worse than five for five. And someone said, no, Desmond Ricks just ripped off the bandaid in a second. Five for five played out over about a three hour time period where it felt like gut punch after punch uh, for LSU. Still one of the best recruiting stories. I'm not, if I'm not mistaken, it was kind of like what wasn't speedy Noel, the first one. So it was like when, whenever speedy committed to A&M, it was like, Oh wow. Like this, this might go off the rails. And Jamal Adams was early because I feel like people were like, I'd already forgotten about Jamal by the time others had gone and not picked up. Like, like that, that was, and he was like kind of almost like a foregone conclusion, right? That it was LSU. Like, wasn't it like, yeah, I don't, I don't even remember who else was, who else was in the mix. Well, nothing that. was a foregone conclusion for five for five. Evidently our info is not correct. Uh, but yes, those two. That's uh, true. Now, that was all. Yeah. That was also like in the early days of like recruiting predictions and crystal ball and the whole, the whole kind of, deal there so that was yeah that was that was interesting that was an interesting day just in the in the recruiting industry for sure last last one on the national front um and speaking of things that are sometimes hard to get right what's the toughest position to eval and 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 get consistent consistently right i know you had uh quite the task with torn corners for example this this year yeah 
Um, generally speaking, corners is a tough one for sure um, because it is uh, like it, it, it's from watching a high school corner. I, I think it's become a little easier given now that we can go through entire games and watch full games. If you're trying to rank a corner off highlight tapes, it can be difficult. Um, and a lot of corners might play like a receiver in high school. Um, but I think it's, I think corner is a little easier for us now than it used to because we kind of can lean on analytics. We can look at track times, uh, which are highly predictive with corners, extremely predictive. Um, but like for me, I kind of boil it down to speed, ball skills, um, size, length. So that, that's all things we kind of factor in. So corner is a little bit more of like an athlete stopwatch position, um, maybe more so than like uh, like a position like receiver, which is just a, like a basic, like a, like a skill position at, at receiver. You're evaluating, evaluating physical traits, but also really how productive they are and just how skilled they are as a receiver. Um, like tight end is a tough one nowadays, because I think if you look at the draft, there's so many tight, like tight ends, there's no real like developmental arc that's a prototype for, for tight ends. Like they're coming from everywhere. Like you have, you have guys who are like college basketball players who don't play football until college or might not play football at all. You have um, like high school quarterbacks who become tight ends. Like I think about um, uh, several of those, several picks in the last couple of years that, that were like big quarterbacks uh, that, that were drafted high. Um, and then when you're looking at the tight end position period, you have guys who are big receivers. Um, you have ones that are blocking in line. It's probably pretty rare. You find a true actual hand in the dirt tight end who is in high school, who becomes a top draft pick. Um, so, so that's one that is uh, difficult. I, I would say like linebacker is, is also one that that's a little tough to project um, just in terms of there's so many multi-positional athletes. Um, you have guys who are safeties in high school, receivers, running backs. There's a lot of running backs that become linebackers. Uh, obviously, it's easier if they do play some defense for sure. But um, linebacker is kind of like corner in that it's really kind of becoming an athlete position. Like arm length is something that is like very increasingly important. Like if you look at recent NFL drafts, like you would have asked any Georgia fan, Who's getting drafted first, Nicobe Dean or Quay Walker? They're 10 of 10 are saying Nicobe Dean during the football season. Well, Quay Walker got drafted higher because he is bigger, faster, and longer. Uh, it's just kind of that basic, basically. Um, and uh, so, so that's one. And obviously quarterback. I mean, quarterback is such a volatile position to evaluate. There's so many factors that go into it. Um, you know, I, I think that's – that's if, if someone had an answer for how to hit on quarterback, they'd be – they'd be a millionaire, if not a billionaire. Um, so I, I think that's something that you're constantly trying to work on and, and get better at, but at, at every level quarterback uh, is a difficult one too. Well, uh, we're going to move into some LSU questions with, with Charles, more, more specific LSU questions, I should say in a second, but first uh, Shay and I have to do a little housekeeping here. Uh, we've got to uh, look at our, uh, Great relationship, as I get it up on uh, the site there on YouTube for us, our great relationship with Rogue Shop, rogueshop.com. Uh, we've got our friends Richard and uh, Shar running uh, their business uh, out of Wisconsin, a small indoor cannabis uh, grow and manufacturing center, and they uh, want to also educate the population while they run uh, this small batch sustainable plant medicine uh, small business. Uh, they sell Delta 8 products, Delta 9, CBD, and HHC. 
Uh, it's all lab direct. They don't use any middlemen uh, when building uh, their, their products and, and putting them together. Um, I know the pain cream. Uh, I slept on my neck wrong. I'm probably going to use it tonight uh, and, and let that kind of work in there. But if you have issues sleeping, if you have issues with stress, anxiety, uh, and all of those things, uh, insomnia and chronic pain, uh, check out rogueshop.com. You can use Bengal Tiger. That's the promo code for 10% off. Uh, and if you have any questions, jump on the site, rogueshop.com. Uh, you're very likely going to end up talking to Richard or Shar themselves with the live chat. It pops up. I'll be on there looking at the site here and there. And boom, there's Richard or Shar uh, who are, uh, you know, chatting with us and, and, and answering our questions is, you know, we learn more about this too. Um, I like the pain cream. I like being able to just target certain areas and let them uh, kind of get better. But, um, you know, who knows, maybe try some gummies or uh, pre-rolls or things like that as, as we go through uh, this, this great new partnership that we've uh, been working with uh, Rogue Shop on for, for the last month, Jay. I've been sleeping like a baby. I've My package came in. I've been, they've got the tinctures in there, uh, which is just like the liquid drops of CBD. Um, and then he put some gummies, a few other things. Richard sent me a, a nice care package and uh, yeah, ooh, out like a light. Woke up feeling energized, ready to do long podcasts like this. Yeah. If you want uh, to support a veteran owned business, husband and wife shop, check out rogueshop.com. They're also in the business of consulting people on uh, cannabis. Uh, their consulting company is DGIY, don't grow it yourself. Uh, so they're really in this to, to help people. Uh, again, sleep, uh, chronic pain, anxiety, insomnia, all that stuff. These are the types of products that uh, can help you guys through that. So check them out. Appreciate their support of the podcast as well as uh, helping out Bengal Tiger subscribers as well with Bengal Tiger. That's the promo code for 10% off at rogueshop.com. Moving back into our podcast with Charles Power, now at the bottom of your screen on the YouTube uh, page, if you're watching this. Uh, Charles, uh, this cycle for LSU in the 2023 class was pretty much headlined by Deshaun Womack and Zalance Hurd as far as the five stars for on three. Uh, one, a Louisiana prospect uh, who on three was highest on for a long, long time. From the beginning, Deshaun Womack, a guy that finishes as a five-star who's been on this upward trajectory for a long time as well. You're familiar with the roster. We talked about B.J. Ojolari earlier. Emery Jones was somebody that um, we were high on as well. Um, finished actually above Will Campbell, I believe, in, in the rankings uh, and started at right tackle a good bit. Do you see Deshaun Womack and Zalance Hurd being able to break into the starting lineup in 2023 for the Tigers? I think they definitely have that ability for sure. I mean, a lot of this comes down to situation opportunity. Um, Y'all would know a lot more about that than me, but I would, I think, I think Lance Hurd has a shot of maybe being LSU's starting right tackle next year. And I think that would give you the option to, to slide Emory Jones inside, which I think he's probably most natural as a guard um, just long-term. But I think seeing, seeing Lance Hurd um, in person at, at Under Armour just kind of, solidified uh, like our belief that, that I think he is probably more ready to go than people give him credit for. This is a guy who has not played offensive line for very long, but just given his physical ability, the length, how big he is, he's added size. I think he probably will need to reshape his body a little bit. I think he could, 
I, I wouldn't, I don't know his exact weight, but I would guess he's probably over 320 right now. I think if he could trim down and, and put up, like just get in the weight program for a little bit, um, I, I think he's a guy who would, would continue to, to benefit there. But, um, but just given his, just, just the, the mass and the length, the athletic ability, uh, in, in his, like, I think he's really phenomenal just as, as like a run blocker, as a, like, just a, like a, like a people mover. I think our comp for him was DJ Fluker. Um, and, and DJ Fluker is kind of that quintessential, just big body, long right tackle. Uh, I, I think Lance Hurd would, would, it would be a great fit there. Um, you know, kind of once he gets up to the, to the speed of just pass blocking every, every play, I think that's probably an area where he can, can continue to improve, but, Seeing him at Under Armour, I think he might have lost like his first or second rep in one on ones. It was really pretty strong after that. Like he he's a pretty quick study just off of his I think natural ability and um, just just the nasty demeanor. I think transfers over well, Billy. I know you've seen him in person. Like you know he was going head to head with with Matthew Fobbs White, the the, the Tulane signing who who were like we're really high on. Like I think Matthew Fobbs White was a complete steal for Tulane. Like he is really good. I think going against him in practice every day at Neville really helped him kind of iron sharpens iron situation. So I would not be surprised if Solance comes in and, and, and is ready to play And from what, from what y'all have told me and from what, you know, what people are saying, he has that mentality. Like he's coming in, he's trying, he's trying to be the left tackle, not even, not even the, right. The, the right tackle. So uh, he and Will Campbell, that, that that's a really unique situation having two bookend tackles, same high school. Um, that's honestly how I kind of came upon Zalance heard was I was watching, I was watching Will Campbell, Walker Howard, uh, AJ Allen play, and I was like, "Who in the world is this right tackle?" Like he was the guy I was just like completely fixated on, just watching like a Neville live stream. So I think he's definitely got a shot f- to play early for sure. Uh, and Deshaun Womack, I think if you look at the edge prospects in this cycle, you know it would be he and Keon Keeley are the two that I would uh, put as ready to play day one guys um, at edge, which is not really a position you see a ton of instant impact true freshman at um, that there's a little bit of development there that, 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 that I think is kind of required typically. Uh, but I think he it w- is a little ahead of the curve relative to some others um, kind of in that five-star range, just developmentally, physically um, you see Womack in person. He is like a solid 245 as a high school senior. And this isn't a guy, he's not like not older for his class. He's in the right grade. So it's not like he like matured earlier or anything like that. He is, He's a, he's a legit 245, runs in the four sevens. And I think what really impressed us about him was just the pure pass rush skills, technical ability. We saw it at Future 50, Billy. I remember we were sitting there like just talking about like how technical he was with his hands. Um, a guy who is, I think, has outside of just the pure physical traits, has a natural knack for rushing the passer. And then you see what he did during the season this year. Um, I think he what what Shay, I think he had you had him at 15 sacks in 10 games. Um and like I know he, was, he was dominant. Seven tackles for loss or something. Yeah. yeah, I mean, so in in St. Francis is playing a national schedule. Like they aren't, he's not playing um, you know, little high schools or anything like that. And I know he was dominant in 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 big games. Like I like Billy, I know like that 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 DeSoto game, we talked about that. I mean, DeSoto won the state championship in Texas, and Deshaun Womack was the best player in the field by far like wrecked DeSoto's offense. Um, so I think when you go back, go and look at his senior year and what he did against top competition, how polished he is, um, he moved up for us in, in this final rankings 
on, on his senior season. And, and had he been able to play an all-star game could have been higher. Like I think you could look back at this and say, well, well, like, I mean, him ranking him 12 or I think wherever, I think he finished, I think he, or I think he finished 12, one spot behind Zalance. Um, ranking him 12 might've been too low if, if he, you know, like has that, I think he has that potential to be one of the top edge prospects um, and maybe even the, the top edge prospect in the class. So I think for LSU to get, get him at a premium position uh, from a powerhouse high school that has dozens of recruiters coming through there, uh, weekly, I would say dur- during uh, during eval periods, I think landing him from out of state. I mean, that's that's huge, and I would not be surprised if both those guys are, are impact freshmen. I w- I um, wrote a story that's, that's out on on three today, or as we're recording this on on uh, what's today Wednesday uh, or no, Thursday. Uh, so uh, I, I like in of five star instant contributors, um, and both those guys are are ones that we would highlight as like top 10, five stars who could uh, make impacts as freshmen. Is there LSU fans like comps or is like Caleb on chase on, it only played football a couple of years. You had him pretty high at 24 seven, but he comes out of North shore, which is a monster program. Like Ojolari, same position coming out of Marietta monster program is Womack significantly better than those guys at this stage. I, I think he's, I think there's less questions with him at, at the, at this stage. Um, you have on chase on, was really kind of, you know, a late bloomer to football guy who was a basketball player. I mean, y'all, y'all, like, I'm sure y'all know the story. LSU fans know the story. Showed up at camp, got offered before he had even played high school football. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think Womack's more more accomplished there. BJ Ojolari was an interesting one because, you know, he was playing at a powerhouse, a powerhouse high school in Marietta um, with, like, Eric Gilbert and all those guys. Um like played both sides of the ball, actually played a little offensive tackle, didn't have a ton of video. So it was kind of the eval for him was based off of watching Marietta games more so than, um, than uh, just like a, him putting together like a highlight or just kind of running through uh, like a, like a traditional video evaluation. So you had to kind of be a little, a little more resourceful with him, but he was super productive as well. But I, I think Womack comes into college more developed than both of those. Uh, if you, if you were making a comparison, um, which is why I mean, I, which is why he's ranked higher, to be honest, I, I think he has that upside, but he's also got a high floor as, as well. So um, I think you have to be really excited about both those guys. If you're LSU. I do want to make like one note here on Lance Hurd. You had him as a five-star when he probably had what three offers, an in-state, a Nebraska offer. It was kind of like a random group. Yeah. And, and, I, and I think sometimes fans and, and, you know, don't want to pump our own tires, you know, too much just because, you know, like you said earlier in the podcast, we miss, there's guys that make us look bad and all those things. But sometimes the recruiting services can get out and either see guys in person more, which we're legally allowed to do than the college coaches. And also we we're not sitting there hosting guys on Friday nights for visits ahead of games. We're able to watch a lot of these guys play. I mean, how good of a feeling is it that on three heads, Lance Hurd is a five-star pretty much from the get-go. And, yeah. you know, LSU rolls around in, I think, February, March, and and ends up offering him. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was one of those deals where, like, honestly, my biggest questions about Lance Hurd were not really ability. It's like, okay, like, like 
like, well, like, am I missing something here with like, why aren't the offers rolling in? Or also too, he was also kind of, I think to, at, at the time, still entertaining the possibility of playing defensive line, um, which was something, you know, I think he doesn't have the same upside uh, as, as a defensive lineman relative to, to offensive line, which is, you know, I think, I think pretty typical of, of, of you know, an OLDL type prospect. Um, there, there's a couple in this class that I think, would would have a higher draft potential um, and just overall potential uh, on the offensive line and are going to probably try to play D-line. Um, and that's something that I think you probably have to factor into rankings, I guess, if you're projecting a little bit. But um, we also kind of operate from a, a standpoint of, I think, typically players and teams find their best position. At least you would hope that. I mean, that's that's really how we look at it. A lot of times prospects can be, when, when that conversation comes up, saying, oh, like, why are you ranking me? here when uh i want to play here they take it as a slight which really we're it's like we're trying to look at you in the best light possible um and, and project you as high as possible and i think that's uh you know a, a positive way to look at it to be honest but with with, with herd yeah i mean i think that was one that i think we feel pretty good about uh that was what like we were early on him i think with alignment that's just a position i've tried to study a lot and i think you know, uh, I guess I would probably say is I think my best position at evaluating, if you had to say like, what's the one you feel um, the best about. And I think it really comes down to, you have to be willing to project. Like you have to look at like tools that matter, which to me is like frame length movement skills. Obviously you want physicality, which I think heard that's one area that immediately popped out to me is he is a nasty guy. Like he is, physical there's no finesse to his game at all um so so you weigh that as well but um i think you know college coaches can get in the habit a little bit of valuing your 300 pounder 330 pounder uh who is as a 10th grader and those guys a lot of times if you look at just the track record uh don't hit as much as ones who are maybe a little leaner more athletic maybe play defensive line, multiple positions, play basketball, wrestle, throw the shot put that, that can just be a better indicator. Um, so uh, like, I mean, I think like the guy like Hurd was almost kind of like our Charles cross this year. Like Charles cross is one who like, like my, like I think my first thing at 24 seven was we had to move this guy up way up. Um, I think he was committed to Florida state at the time and did a sign with Mississippi state and became a top 10 draft pick. Didn't have a ton of the sec was not lining up for Charles cross. But I think if you if you're willing to project um, and not go for the guy who looks like a finished product when he's in tenth or eleventh grade, I think you I think you can you can hit a lot of the offensive linemen. And I think Hurd was one that's just probably a good example of that. And also too, like I mean, shoot, like it's, this isn't like Lance Hurd was a 260 pounder. Like you got him on the scale. I got LSU camp. I think he was 308. So uh, there was less questions with him, I think, and less projection involved with him than. Uh, than, than typical of, of that kind of high upside offensive line prospect. But also too, some of it might've been, that was his first year playing O-line as a junior at, at Neville transfer high school. So that's a factor as well. But um, yeah, I, I, I feel good about this Lance Herwin for sure. And it's um, you know, I think just from a general industry perspective, it's probably good that, that he's ranked high everywhere because I think, I think that's one we'll look back on. I'll look back on and say that was a, that was a, that was a good one for sure. Well, we don't want to keep Charles forever, but we do have so – we'll, we'll maybe lightning round this here to go. We're not going to hit on all these kids, but uh, those are your five stars. A lot more guys in your top 300, Charles, uh, but one guy who's not, and we'll let you lump him in with the receivers here, 
uh, Kyle Parker. Uh, and this is for Hester on the board, who has been begging to have his moment uh, to talk with Charles Power about Kyle Parker. Uh, a signee out of da or a signee out of the Texas area, four-star. Comes in with Jalen Brown. They get him out of Miami, another four-star. And then Shelton Sampson, obviously, here in Baton Rouge. Uh, your thoughts on those guys? Because you had Shelton's a top 100 guy. Jalen Brown's a top 150 guy. And then Kyle Parker is obviously not in the 300. Start with Parker. What are your thoughts on him? Because it seems physically he actually might be the most ready to play, maybe just not long-term the top talent. Yeah, I think I think Kyle Parker comes in extremely polished. Um, this is a guy who, who works really hard at his route running. Um, he's working with trainers, uh, comes from a high, high school program in Texas, Lucas Lovejoy, that is just really well coached. Um, so I think he, it's going to be not a tough transition for him at all to LSU. Um, and I think of those three, uh, just from a polish and development standpoint, yeah, he's certainly the, the most advanced. Um, I, I like looking at his skill set. I think he is a, like a high volume possession, probably slot receiver, a guy who you can just throw underneath intermediate routes to, um, watching him this, this year, he, he's really good after the catch. I think he's got some natural like tackle breaking ability. Um, he's not going to blow you away from a physical perspective in terms of just like, like the, the, the speed or size necessarily, but highly skilled, tough. I think he'll do dirty work for you um, and, and, and pick up yards after the catch. So uh, with that group, just in general, I think when you look at receiver rooms and receiver classes, you want to have a, uh, a variety of, of skills. You don't want a bunch of redundancy. I think at receiver, I think when you're looking at like, looking at a receiver room, I think one of the best ways you could build it is just to kind of view it like a basketball team, like various guys who can do different, different roles. Cause you kind of want that, um, that, that, that variety on, on the field for you. So you look at Jalen Brown, Jalen Brown, I think is like a, a Z receiver, like field stretcher guy who can pull over safety with his ability to run deep. Um, you know, Jalen Brown is, is interesting. You know, I think, there were probably some some questions with him uh, just off his senior year, like the the, the play strength um, and, and just uh, I think he's a guy who probably would will really benefit from getting in the weight room at, at, at LSU. Um, but he he looked he, like I think he helped himself a good bit seeing him at the All-American Bowl. He was very good out there. Um, I thought he caught the ball well. Uh, his speed tr translated against running against top corners. So he's a guy who who might I, I could I would not be surprised if Jalen Brown outplayed his ranking. To be honest, um, the receiver group is is pretty deep this year, and it, it's it is a splitting hairs thing when you're stacking all those guys up, um, kind of with it with like nationally, especially kind of once you get out like once you go from fifty to probably one twenty five one fifty, um, it it becomes a very tight deal, and you know we can't have we can't have 30 receivers in the top 100. So you have to kind of tear it out a little bit am amongst other positions. I think we had 16 maybe in the top 100, which is probably about the number that you see in an NFL draft. You, you typically see 15 receivers on average go in the top 100 picks. So that's kind of what we're benchmarking for. But if you told me Jalen Brown was one of those top 15 guys, um, if not a top 10 guy, I wouldn't be shocked based on what we saw. I think he has that, that upside. Um, and, and then Sheldon Sampson, I think, you would project as, as, as like your X receiver. So you have like Parker as a kind of your slot volume guy, um, you know, uh, Jalen Brown is your X and then, and then Shelton Sampson as, as, or sorry, Jalen Brown is your Z and then Shelton Sampson as your X. Um, you know, Shelton was a guy who we had as a five-star early on. I think he has a lot going for him. He, he's big, fast, uh, was productive at Catholic this year. 
Um, and, and, and I think he has a lot of potential. He can get, will continue to get better. I think seeing him in person, this is my first time seeing him in person at, at under, at under armor. I think he has a little more development than we thought to go. He's younger for the class. So I think that'll be time. Is he a guy who's going to play early? I'm not sure. Um, but, but I think, I still think he has a lot of upside. Um, and, and his, his strengths are really just, um, you know, the, the, I think the, the size and speed combo is good. Um, and, and then he can go up and win at the catch point, which I think if he, if Sheldon Sampson hits, it's going to be because he is consistently winning at the catch point. So I think it's going to be the biggest driver and kind of how he shakes out at, at LSU in long-term. If he becomes that guy who is just bodying defensive backs, boxing guys out in air um, and, and winning in contested situations and becomes that like go-to target. I think that's, that's the, the scenario you would hope for um, if you're an LSU fan with, with Shelton Sampson. Yeah. And, and I completely agree. Pretty much nailed it on all those guys. And I think one, one guy you talk about the catch point and, and going up and getting it, uh, Camorian Pimpton, uh, you bumped him up into the top 100, number four tight end in the country, uh, looked good at the all America bowl. I mean, at times didn't get the targets, you know, probably uh, deserved uh, as far as how open he was at times, but, you know, I saw him as a senior in person and, and you had a ton of production to go over as uh, you sifted through that senior tape and bumped him up, I think, in the top 150 about halfway through his senior season. What, what are your expectations for Kamorian Pimpton uh, now that he uh, heads to Baton Rouge this summer? Yeah, Kamorian Pimpton is one of the biggest risers, I think, over the, the course of his senior year, really nationally. Um, when you look at like top 100 prospects, there's probably, I don't know, like 10 maybe who were kind of three-star types or viewed in that viewed in that light entering this entering the fall. And like I said earlier, like the senior year is for us huge in, in this. It's just, I think it's the on average, the biggest factor um, in really kind of trying to pinpoint how good a player is, is going to be long-term. Um, so Pimpton, I think is an interesting deal where, you know, watching him, he was initially committed to Vanderbilt. Uh, great find by uh, our friend, former colleague, Barton Simmons at, at Vandy. They uh, identified him as a high upside tight end. Um, he, I don't think he had a ton of production at his previous school. What, what, do you remember what school he went to, Billy, before he transferred to North Crowley? I believe it was Brewer. Brewer, maybe. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. Fourth Brewer. Um, so didn't have a ton of production. He, but he, I mean, his measure, like his measurables are off the charts. I think so getting that on him, I think anybody would see his, size and arm length i mean he's 6'6 225 with 36 inch arms i think he had the he's some of the longest arms of any prospect in the, in the cycle lsu might have signed two of the top i don't know five to ten longest prospects out of anybody with with he and zelance heard so i mean that's that's a feather in, in lsu's cap for sure but um so i think his measurables he would he i think he's a 50 plus foot shot put thrower as well so um, we had that stuff on him. Or we didn't have his we didn't have his arm length, but we 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 knew he was a high upside tight end, kind of going into the season. Well, and then fast forward, he transfers into North Crowley and just completely goes off. Like changed their team. It made like they were. I think they were undefeated in the regular season. Um, I'm watching stuff during the fall on like Friday nights, and he is like a complete mismatch in the passing game. I think of all the pass catchers in this cycle, uh, there's. I, like conservatively speaking, Pimpton is in the top two or three largest catch radiuses um, of, of, of anyone that, that we looked at receiver or tight end. There's maybe a, a, a one or two other guys you can maybe throw into that mix. 
but uh, his ability to go up and in high point and just the length and just the, the overall breadth of, of where he can make catches is, is like special and, and pretty unique. So um, I think he, at the minimum is going to be a big time, like red zone goal line target jump ball. Like he is going to, I would be surprised if he doesn't catch a ton of jump ball touchdowns at, at LSU. Um, and yeah, I think one of the things that, uh, I think will determine his ultimate ceiling, kind of drawing it back to kind of like what I said about Shelton Sampson. I think one, if, if Camorion Pimpton, and he has, he has the chance, he has the chance to be the, the best tight end in this, in this class. If he is that guy, it's going to really, I think, come down to just the movement skills and lateral agility as a route runner. That was, that was the one thing that I think, like how much he improves that at LSU is going to decide if he's like a first rounder. I think the the ball skills and his ability to win at the catch point is going to translate like immensely. Um, but how how much he can get open within his routes, pick up yards after the catch, um, and, and just just the movement skills uh, is going to be a big factor. I think he like see him in person, Billy. Like I mean, you, I don't I don't know if you agree or not, but I think he's pretty athletic. Like he he moves well. I think it's just going to be continuing to to work at it. Um, in, in, in just become more of a technician. I think that's going to be be something with him. And, and just to bring it back to like LSU, just from a uh, big picture standpoint, I think when you look at this class, you think about what like the positions that Brian Kelly really made hay on at Notre Dame, offensive line, tight end. I think LSU hit home runs at, at both positions. And that's something that he's brought to LSU. So I think, I think that's, that that's big. And when, when you look, I think when you look at college football now, you look at how Georgia uses their tight ends. I mean, if you can run multiple tight end sets in, in modern college football, that really kind of gives you a little bit of like a skeleton key with how you can attack defenses. So you, you talk about putting Pimpton, Jackson McGohan, some of these, uh, you know, Mason Taylor, of course, like some of these guys that LSU has on the field at the same time um, would, would be great for their offense. And I also, too, I would add, I think Pimpton has upside as a blocker. He, he's obviously strong. Um, he's obviously strong and long, uh, and I think he's got some toughness uh, about him. So, uh, once he continues to add weight to his frame, if he's a 250 pound guy, I think he's an inline, I think he's an inline tight end, um, which, which is, you know, I think adds just a complete different dimension to him as an overall, you know, player and prospect. So it'll be really fun to kind of see, to see what he looks like, um, after a year or so in the strength program. And I believe, I want to say he's younger for the class as well. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So he's got a, a late, a late July birthday. So this is a guy who won't turn eight. Super young. will be on campus. I and mean, he really could be a 24. He's kind of got um, a baby face. So it doesn't, it's not surprising. Yeah, he's really got a 24. And that's one thing too, just from a like overall evaluation standpoint, a trend that I've noticed, I'm probably gonna write a story on this, a trend that I've noticed this year is is late birthday guys popping uh like rising later uh, that, that like that's like a senior risers guys who develop later um kind of bringing it back to like the early rankings thing a lot of these guys who uh pop up on the radar early uh tend to be a little older and i think i think the the later birthday um younger prospects uh tend to develop at a later rate i mean i think we're talking about 16 to 18 year olds in physical maturity um, so I think the fact that Pimpton still like he's this good and he's 17 years old um, had just turned 17 when the season started. It's really kind of scary. I mean, he's got a ton of potential. So um, he was, I think he was a huge flip for LSU and he was not like, 
you know, y'all can back me up on this, but he was not an easy flip from Vandy. I mean, he kind of no. fit the kind of fit the Vanderbilt profile. Like he's an academic guy. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I think that was the fact that LSU could come in and flip him late. Uh, I think says a lot about their recruiting efforts and the evaluation is strong too. LSU was on him early, like relatively to, you know, relatively speaking um, to, to him kind of blowing up as a senior. So I think that was a great job by, by LSU's whole organization with, with Kamari and Pimpson. He used the word sanguine uh, to describe his LSU offer. Yeah, I, that, that's that's the first time I've ever seen sanguine in any any recruiting uh, any recruiting media. Well, we've uh, we'll wrap up here. We've got two more for you, Charles. I told Charles to come on, and we do like thirty minutes, and now we've done double that because we just <laughs> like to talk. And this is probably the best uh, insight we've gotten since we've uh, been on the recruiting pod. But uh, Charles, I'll tell you this. Here we go. I'm going to give you a stat line. And you tell us your reaction, kind of what you're thinking moving forward. My man had 104 tackles, 72 solo, 20 tackles for loss nearly, couple sacks, couple forced fumbles, fumble recovery, couple fumble recoveries returned for a touchdown. Oh, and he put up 800 yards and 16 touchdowns on offense. None other than your boy Whit Weeks, who I can remember multiple times during this year. And Charles would watch. He'd watch all the Catholic High and Newman and uh, – Zalance heard Neville games, Neville network, whatever it's called that uh, they run everything on. So you'd be watching all these guys and you would watch weeks out of Georgia stuff. And you would tell me multiple times, you're like, bro, this guy's actually not bad. He's pretty good. Well, come to find out what you nearly put him into the top 100. What did you see? Total body of work. Cause you got to see him in person in San Antonio too. Yeah. Wait, weeks was one of the biggest risers at the all American bowl for us period. Um, and after seeing all those linebackers in San Antonio, um, again, I think Whit weeks was a great evaluation by LSU. Um, he was, I, he had college interest. I, I know Georgia looked at him seriously, uh, in, in, in Wade, um, going after him in Georgia, I think, you know, on paper, at least in terms of just the consensus industry consensus rankings, signed the top linebacker class in the country. So he was one that I think college coaches were higher on than the rankings initially. And LSU was hundred percent right about what weeks from based off what, what, what we've seen. I think he's probably a guy that LSU took, like LSU took, and I'm y'all would know the fan reaction better than me, but they probably, it was probably not, um, you know, a ton of, uh, a ton of buzz or, or headlines about weeks when he committed, but um, just for, like, you know, obviously he's just, on, on the field on Friday nights, he is a just a three-phase football player, a guy who can do a little bit of everything. Uh, I think the play speed checks out on 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 film when you watch him. He's kind of all over the place, making plays, special teams, offense, defense. Um, but but it was it was really like it was like a revelatory performance to see him at the All American Bowl with a lot of these other top linebackers. There really was like a really pretty strong linebacker group there. I mean, you had like Anthony Hill who signed with Texas, Samuel Omasigo. Really physically talented guy who signed with OU, um, but out of all the linebackers there, Whit Weeks was the best cover guy. Uh, he was like phenomenal in in one on ones, uh, and then when they went to team uh, like or seven on seven or eleven on eleven, he was great there too. Like I, I think his instincts and just the natural cover ability uh, was 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 great, and I, that's something that you it like the overall athleticism doesn't always transfer to a linebacker being able to, to cover. Like you think about maybe like a Devin white, Devin, Devin white is a freak from a speed size speed perspective, but he is at his best, like as a blitzer, like covering isn't like his, 
you know, natural skill set. Like there, there's a little bit of like nuance and um, fluidity and just, just skill level that's involved in a linebacker covering the guys who run the best 40 times aren't always the best cover backers. So that's something that um, you really can kind of see. You have to kind of watch it happen to see it. It's not as much of a projectable thing. And we saw what weeks do that. So that was, that was great. I mean, I think weeks is going to just have to like maybe get a, like a little stronger at continue adding size to hold up at the point of attack, which I, I have really don't have a ton of doubt that he will, but I think the side, like, like his frame checks out um, like just the instincts. Um, this, this is a guy who is all uh, around the field. Like he's, at, at, like he just has is like a magnet to the ball, so um, I, I think there's just a lot of really positive things you you could draw from him, and I think probably after maybe a year or so in the strength program, I think he'll be ready to go and be. I would probably project him as a multi-year starter at, at, at LSU and, and maybe just like a standout on, on their defense. So um, yeah, great great eval by by LSU, and they were definitely uh, ahead of the curve ahead of the rankings on that one. But I hope, I hope we uh, caught up enough to, to get it right. Wow. Okay. All right. Look, first of all, Lundy's dying uh, right behind Shea over there. Uh, I was going to say shout out. I was going to say shout out to Lundy. Shout out Lundy. I thought Uh, she passed in. I thought she was gone on us. I I woke her up. So this last one uh, for Charles uh, and we'll get him out of here. Actually the last one. Um, I'm getting and out we'll of here. Too. Back, yeah, let's. We'll have him back on same time here. next week, right? Um, a guy we haven't talked about. Who would be your pick out of the class? Who could really shine? A name or two, if you'd like, that could really shine and hit. However, you want to word it, outperform his ranking or whatever, or even hit um, at a high level uh, for us. Uh, that's in this 2023. Uh, recruiting class for LSU if you had to pick you know one who who would you lean toward yeah well I'll uh I'll talk about somebody that I guess that we haven't we haven't talked about um you know I think I think Dylan Carpenter is one who like we we talked about the Louisiana prospects who are kind of you know maybe under the radar in-state guys like kind of late risers I think Carpenter is one who could could outplay his ranking um you know, he, he, well, he was committed to Louisiana, right? Initially. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, LSU obviously knows their, LSU knows their backyard better than, than anybody. So I think to come in and the fact that he was the, the in-state, uh, you know, G5 commit that they prioritized, flipped, uh, says a lot about, about him. I think he's got a good frame. Uh, the, the, just the measurables are, are good. I think he will be able to continue to add weight. Very athletic. Um, he is, I think, an all-region basketball player, a guy who plays above the rim. Um, I think will surprise people with, with how athletic he is. Tough. Um, and I think he has, all, like, a lot of upside to continue getting better in terms of, like, just pass rush ability. Like, he's kind of a guy who out there right now is just, you know, just playing football, running the ball down. Um, I, I I think he has some some upside and room for development to to continue um, just just improving as, as a pass rusher. Um, like, go, let's see, like look, looking at looking at the commit list, I think I think Ashton Stamps is, is one who's interesting as as could be a potential corner safety could do a lot of different things for you from a uh, just a versatility standpoint. Like I, we got to see him in camp. I think he's a guy who has the right the right approach. And, and just if you look at him, maybe as a potential safety, I really like his his cover ability as like a high school corner. 
um, who, who could project as a safety, kind of be that like free safety, safety type. And I mean, I don't think like you can talk about LSU's hall this year without probably mentioning the, some of the transfers. Like I think LSU's done really well in the portal as, as well. You know, you th think about Aaron Anderson. I mean, that's like, you know, that's kind of uh, a little bit of like a, you know, like a mulligan, I guess, like landing, mm -hmm. landing Aaron Anderson out of the portal. Um, some of those other guys, I mean, I, I liked Deuce Chestnut. I thought he was like a, you know, like a true freshman All-American type guy at, at, at Syracuse. Um, obviously, Denver Harris is, is a top talent at corner. I mean, I think Denver Harris, if he's, if he's locked in, like Denver Harris is like a first rounder, like lockdown SEC number one corner. I mean, he was starting against Alabama and really, I thought, like acquitting himself pretty well when, when A&M played them this year. So um, if, if, if everything's right with Denver Harris, I mean, he's a, he has star potential. So I think when you look at L, like what else he's done in the portal to supplement, what is a really good first like full recruiting class for Brian Kelly. Um, I think the, the talent in Baton Rouge is certainly trending up. And um, I think the biggest thing too, is like, you know, the, the, the bump they're going to get off of, you know, an SEC championship appearance season will probably be more felt in 24 uh, than, than, than 23 because they have the whole off season and cycle to, to really, to really sell that to the, to the prospects. So I think just generally speaking, you have to be really, really excited with, with kind of the, the overall trajectory of, of the roster and the recruiting um, that LSU's put together. Well, look, uh, Charles, I mean, Shay, do you have anything else? Just say thank you and let him go. <laughs> We've yeah, kept no. him hostage now for. Uh, no, do we ask him if he's on the Nuss bus or the JD5 tra train? Is that where it's the next thing? I'll roll, I'll, I'll roll with Jaden Davis just based or uh, Jalen Daniels. Sorry, uh, just based off of uh, liking him so much in high school. I mean, I was I was a huge. You had huge, a number one dual threat. That was back I, when we. I was a huge Jalen Daniels guy. So. We'll, uh, no, that was back when we did dual threat. Y'all got away from that. It's just just quarterback yeah. now. Yeah. So it's 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 crazy. It's crazy to think he's he's in his uh I guess going into his fifth year. Fifth so year. Yeah. We'll we'll, we'll we'll see how that shakes out. I think regardless, LSU's got um that, that's that's probably a good problem to have. No, absolutely. Yeah, Billy, well, I'm good. He get. Uh, I, I, I want Ashton. That Ashton Stamps is my pick, so I'm good. Yeah. Uh, I, I think this, I think Caleb Jackson is mine kind of under the radar after, you know, getting hurt senior year, but, but has yeah. some things to back it up. So I'll weigh in on that and we will wrap up this edition of the Bengal tiger recruiting podcast uh, for everyone, Charles power, our director of rankings. Thank you. Thank you for coming on the pod. Uh, Shay Dixon to my left over there. Uh, appreciate you as always. And Lundy uh, bearing with us on the pod uh, as she had to listen to us for a full hour and 10 minutes. She's Thank you guys for subscribing to the Bengal Tiger podcast. We will catch you guys with another edition later this week. Uh, appreciate you, all you guys who have subscribed to the site as well. You can still get a Bengal Tiger Founders Club hat if you subscribe. Uh, $30 gets you access until football season. So for, for Charles, for Shay, for myself, appreciate you guys listening, and we will catch you on the next edition of the Bengal Tiger Recruiting Podcast. Have a good one, everyone.